Good morning. Just the last couple of days, I've been fighting off of a, a cold. I feel a lot better today. I got my water, got my throat lozenge. I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> if you're new today, welcome to Faith, Faith Christian Fellowship. We're, we're here each week. We celebrate the, the reconciling work of Christ. That's, that's where it begins. We believe worship is where it starts, our relationship with him. We worship him, and, and we go and serve him out of that strength. Um, <clears throat> We're in a sermon series in the book of Micah, the Old Testament book of Micah, the prophecy of Micah. Last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor J.B. and Reuben have made comments about me giving them certain passages, if you've, know, if you've heard that. This week, as I prepared this sermon, I, I was talking to myself, well, why did I give myself this passage? <laughs> You'll see why in a while. But um, the power of leadership, this chapter three is about leadership. Leadership, the power of leadership is what we're talking about. Leadership counts. Leadership counts. Tonight, uh, 95% of the people in the, in, in the nation are going to be voting, rooting against the New England Patriots. Is that right? I don't know why, but, but I, I, because, because we're tired of their winning, that's probably what it is, but we have to respect the fact that they have leadership that works. They have some leaders. <laughs> Brady and Belichick are doing it. <laughs> They're doing it like no one ever done, done before. Leadership counts. Leadership makes a big difference, folks. There are leaders in all spheres of life, families, communities, churches, cities, nations, businesses, clubs, organizations. Leadership really counts. And <clears throat> leaders are those who somehow uh, uh, are able to weed through the noise and, and analyze the situation and make important decisions and get other people to understand and feel motivated enough to implement a plan towards success. That's what leaders do. That's what they are. Now, here in Micah chapter 3, <coughs> it, 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 it be, Micah looks at the heads, is the word he uses, rulers, heads, rulers. And so I think... Part of that is those who are giving political leadership in that day. In our context, we call them political leaders. So I've got to, that's why I was talking, why did I give myself this passage? I've got to slip into the area of politics a little bit today. Now, that's a scary thing. We're a diverse church. We're a church that celebrates the reconciling work of Christ. We're diverse in many different ways. We have age reconciliation. We have ethnic reconciliation. We have political diversity in this church. As you know, so I'm going to step on some toes probably in this message. So I'm, that's a kind of a warning. But we can't look at Micah without ignoring some of the things, the implications of this book on our world today. You know, most of you know I grew up in Washington, D.C. And um, D.C. Is a, is a city like no city in America because in D.C., you know, here in Baltimore, and I didn't learn this until I, I moved to Baltimore, you have, it, when you watch the news, they have local news, and they have national news. When you grow up in D.C., the national news is the local news. Everybody's concerned about what's going on in the nation. <laughs> it's, a, it's a city where, am I going to have a job in four years, or is it going to be changed? National news, and, and so, so it, it wasn't until I moved out of D.C. that I learned that the people in the rest of the country view the federal government in D.C. is a bunch of knuckleheads. I didn't learn that until I moved out of D.C. You know, they talk about cleaning the swamp. You've heard that phrase. You know, 
when you live in a swamp, you say, hey, this is not a swamp, this is home, okay? I would read the text, but I'm looking at my clock, so we're going to read the text as we go through, okay? Micah talks about, about heads, rulers, prophets, priests, and these are the secular and the spiritual leaders of Israel and Judah, and they are charged to shepherd the people that the nation might reflect the true and living God to the world. Israel had this dual identity as both a national entity and a spiritual entity, a religious entity. And, and so God gave Israel civil laws because they were a nation, ceremonial or ritual laws because they were uniquely his redeemed covenant children, and he gave them moral laws because they were people created in the image of God. And God evaluates pagan nations according to not his ceremonial law or civil law, but his moral law. Here are three examples, just three, of God's concern for the nations in general. God is concerned about cooperation between nations. You know, you have the farmer and the herdsman. The farmer has, has, has vegetables and the herdsman has meat. And if you have a healthy diet, you have to cooperate. God is concerned about cooperation among people. He's spread it out, hasn't he? He hasn't given everybody all the resources. That's important to God. Secondly, God is concerned about senseless violence within and between nations. A, a nation where road rage can lead to death or a squeegee kid can attack a passenger leading to death, this bothers our God. Thirdly, God is concerned about leadership. God is concerned about leaders of the nations, not just his own covenant nation. Leadership counts. Leaders are accountable to him. <coughs> leaders are the change agents, the pace setters, not just the political leaders. They're creative arts leaders. There's entertainment leaders. There's media leadership who, who, who set the pace and control what we think and how we feel about many things, who clarify the values for the general public by what they endorse, what they say, and how they live. Main point today, uh, the, the decision of leaders can promote either good or evil. The decision of leaders can promote either good or evil. Leadership always counts. Okay, big picture, the book of, of Micah, okay? Seven chapters. We've, we've finished the first two chapters, which is part one of the book. Okay, have a chart here. Again, I'm, 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 they have to catch up. I'm skipping things. There you are. We have a chart here. Uh, the, we've finished the first part of the book. We, of course, we did it in the reverse order because of the snow a couple weeks ago. Uh, we did chapter two and then chapter one. But there was, a, there was a, 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 a passage of judgment and then a passage of hope. The oppressive landowners, there was a remnant, a flock that was to be assembled. Each of the three parts has a, has a, has a, passage, a passage about doom and judgment and then hope and mercy, okay? We're now in part two, which is the next three chapters. And here in this third chapter, we have the warning of judgment uh, to the, the greedy rulers and the prophets. So today, <coughs> we're going to look at uh, the meaning of the text and then we'll talk about, about the message of the text. I'm going to run through the meaning because I want to get to the message. Let me talk just about the overall structure of the passage. I'm going to read uh, the text as we go through this. The first four verses of Micah chapter 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. 
Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. The heads of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, they're calling us to know justice, to hate evil, and to love good, but they are the opposite. They detest justice. Bruce Walkie says, Micah points first to their hearts, their character, using highly visceral words, love and hate. Micah looks straight into their perverse hearts and puts his finger on the root of Israel's social sins. And and as you heard, he gives a very graphic word picture. They're like cannibals. Walkie says this, he continues, those who should have been shepherds tending the flock, instead they transform themselves into wolves who fatten themselves on them. In fact, they're worse than wolves. They're cannibals. They, they who were most highly endowed with the dignity of humanness made themselves less than animals. So in verse 4, they cry for mercy. And God doesn't listen to their cry. Yeah, we ask the question, why, why won't, don't we confident that when we cry to God, he hears our cry? We just sang, I love the Lord, he hears my cry. Didn't we just sing that? Yes, but those are the sincere cries, not the insincere cries that are uttered for fear of lack of luck or, or, or fear of hell or fear or, or from a sense of entitlement. God, yes, hears the sincere cry of the humble, but he examines the heart of the crier as well. Walkie says, when God judges the heartless magistrates, he will be as heartless as they as they have been toward the oppressed, who had called out to them for help. Verses 5 to 7, let me read these three verses, four verses, three verses. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. These, these are the false prophets of God, and they lead God's people astray. Jeremiah 23, we didn't read that scripture. It, it talks a lot about the false shepherds, the false prophets. And we see here that they're in it for the money. Not because they truly want to be a mouthpiece from heaven. <clears throat> and so they get, they get no insight from God. There's, heaven is shut to them. There's only silence. They're disgraced. Put to shame. Verse 8, but as for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. There's a but there, a contrast. Micah so now talks about himself. We've, we've talked about this verse in the last in the first uh, overview. We'll come back to this verse, very important verse. Verses 9 to 12. <clears throat> Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Again, just like chapter one, uh, verse 1. 
heads rulers, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No, disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. We get back to the heads, the rulers. He's here, but now he's not just talking about what they've done. He's, there's a therefore disaster is coming. Okay, but he, he talks about the fact you know, about, about the rulers and the prophets, and he asks the priests here. And for each, all three of them, he talks about money. They're in it for the money. It seems like there's, there's corruption, there's bribery, there's kickbacks. There's, there's that kind of corruption that's going on. It's people being paid off to believe and say and do certain things. Even in an agrarian culture that Michael lived in, that was going on. Therefore, verse 12, disaster is coming. And verse 12, we looked at verse 12 a few weeks ago. Because it's the one verse in Micah that's quoted in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 26 quotes uh, uh, this 12th verse. If you recall, in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah was put in prison. And there was a discussion about what should we do with with him. He's preaching bad things against the the leaders. And one of the elders said, let's be careful. Because just because he's preaching negatively, it doesn't mean he's not of God. Remember what Micah preached said back in, in, in his day, and he was right, though he was saying some negative things. And so that this verse spared the life of Jeremiah because they remembered that even though he was saying some negative things were going to happen to the people, God was, God was in that. It was a message of warning that came true. This last verse is interesting. Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. Um, and, and then the the mountain of the house of wooded height. One translation says, the temple mountain will become a worship site covered with trees. It's a wooded height. That's the idea of that. <clears throat> so, chapter 4 will tell us there's, there's another temple coming. We'll look at that next week. There's another temple coming that's going to be on that mount, and people will come to that mount, the house of the Lord. Okay, that's, the, that's the, 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 what the passage is saying. Now, what is it for us? I mean, yeah, okay, that was, that's what he was saying back then before Christ, eight centuries before Christ. What's there for us? Let me, let me walk through a couple important things uh, as we continue. There, there's a word here about secular leadership. There's a word here about religious leadership. There's a word about spirit-filled leadership, okay? Secular leadership, religious leadership, and spirit-filled leadership. First, <clears throat> Micah reminds us of the negative impact of bad secular leaders. Bad secular secular leaders can can, can mess things up. <clears throat> few few examples. Um, <clears throat> j- just this week, we, we 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 in our city locally, we there was a a pragmatic decision that was made about marijuana indictments and whatever you think about medical marijuana versus recreational marijuana versus potency and all those kind of things. Um, the decision was made that small, in, in, in that small doses of marijuana will no longer be tried by the state's attorney. Now, okay, whatever you think. The next, the next day, I think the police came out and says, we're going to still arrest them. 
And, and, and so the, the, the question is, why aren't they on the same page? <laughs> why aren't they on the same page about what their, their policy is going to be? Huh? You're not on the same page. We, 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 found, we have found, as we've watched over the years, that like most cities, Baltimore is a broken city when it comes to our leadership. Well, I, I, I was very troubled by the Sean Souter death in last November and a half ago, about, about uh, 13, 14 months ago. Um, was it a homicide? Was it a suicide? It's unclear. The report came out that it was a suicide. That seems, the, the evidence seems to lean that way, but still, there's a lot of question. But one thing that is not unclear, if you follow that case, is that there's a lot of corruption going on. There's a lot of corruption going on on secular leadership in our, in our city. How high it goes, we don't know. But there's police corruption. We, we learned that drugs confiscated by cops and drug busts end up being sold on the streets of Philadelphia. That ain't right, y'all. And, and so people have lost confidence in the law enforcement system. And that's not irrational. No wonder there's instant suspicion about police among many people. A society cannot function without a system of law enforcement that addresses antisocial behavior. We need police. We need leadership. It, we're having problems as a city finding someone who will lead the police. This is a major problem, people. You've all, probably many of you have seen the, the HBO series The Wire. We thought it was fictional. It seems like it's more of a documentary. And the impact of that is just tension, tension. The funny thing happens all, often when I'm in the car, and Terry and I are in the car, and, and, and Terry, if you know Terry, my wife, she's the most law-abiding person I know, okay? She believes the law says it, you do it. When I'm driving and there's a policeman, police car, she's, police car, look out, watch your speed. Now, she says it's because I have a lead foot. I don't have a lead foot. <laughs> I don't think I do. I think it's some of that Baltimore coming out of her. Don't trust the cops. Instantly, you see the cops, don't trust them. I don't know. But it, it, that, that's, that's what has happened locally with, with leadership that's, that's not. Then, then, of course, leadership. Well, we could talk for an hour on leadership uh, problems nationally. Just right, right now, we're seeing the federal government's ineptitude with a shutdown. Rather than get in the room and figure it out, they get in the room and can't, and can't come up with any solutions. They want to blame each other. Poor secular leadership. And I, I mentioned months ago, we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our president. Pray for all those in authority. Because God can turn the heart of those who are in authority. Scripture tells us that. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the, of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Pray for the president. Do that. Romans 13, the, the calling of secular leaders is clear to promote peace, promote justice, promote safety, promote the flourishing and protection and provision of people. 
And there are other types of secular leaders as well. There's judges and educators and marketing strategists and, and, and big business monopolies and the media. They, they have responsibility and authority too. They are leaders. They speak loudly into the national situation. They impact things. The month of January, let's say some things that, that you may not like here. The month of Jer- January is always an interesting month in our country. Because there's several social justice movements that are in the foreground of our culture. And I always step back and look to see which movements get the most press. Martin Luther King celebrations. Much press. Much press. Wonderful. Um, the, 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 the anniversary celebrations. The Women's March, that's something new, the last two or three years, I think. Again, a, a, movement of, a, a movement of justice, reminding us of justice for women. And then there's the March for Life that happens every year since 1973. Justice for the unborn. You hear nothing about it. And we say that we're woke and we're committed to justice. Each year I watch to see which movements get the press. This year, the only time I heard about the March for Life in the major media was the Indian guy and the Hebrew African guy fighting, and the, the Catholic guy from Kentucky came and stood there. And they said, Oh, by the way, they were there for the March for Life with the red hat on. That's the only, that's all, that's the only coverage it gets. Who will speak for those who can't speak? And if you're alert to that issue, and I hope you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, things are getting worse over the last several weeks. I don't have time to go into, but New York and then Virginia, this, the whole issue of this governor the last couple of days, he came out and said that it is the doctor's and the woman's choice about whether the baby should be killed after it's born. He would not say it's wrong. I, I, I don't want to be political. I want to be biblical. biblical. And the scriptures are clear. We're, 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 that, that we're in a scary place. And we believe in justice. Justice for all. Let me move on. Leadership in the religious community has failed, which is where he goes next. The church is called to be salt and light, and leadership counts, and many church leaders are not being salt and light. So Mike reminds us of the negative impact of bad religious leaders. Sad to say, there are some clergy who are not in touch with God. I have to say that. They have all the theology some of it's right, some of it's wrong, but there's some clergy, and, and that, that confusion, the man on the street understands it. The man on the street can see a sham when, when he sees it. Somehow, we in the church are afraid to call it out when we see it. We, we're seeing right now in our day over the last five, ten years that, attend, that um, admissions to seminaries is dropping. Rapidly. No one wants to go into a pastorate. 
Ten years ago, that wasn't true. We're, we're, we're seeing that nobody wants to wear a collar anymore or wear a robe. You don't want to be seen as a pastor, a reverend. You know, we, you know why. You, it's in the news. The Catholic priests and the Protestant clergy, it's all over the place. No, nobody wants to be called Pastor Fred or Reverend Fred. Just call me Fred. Don't call me Reverend. It's too much baggage. That's where we are, folks. In a, in a day when men, men, many are totally giving up on the Christian faith, th there are clergy who are holding on to only parts of the Christian faith, the parts they like. Spirit of compromise. Jesus talked about not being ashamed of him or of the gospel. And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Paul did not have kind words to say about those who would distort the simplicity of the gospel of grace. So God, God through Micah exposes the carnal fiscal motives of the prophets preaching for pay rather than because they have a calling and they have heard from God. Preaching what the high tithers want to hear. Not going down certain roads because people don't want to hear that. I was deeply troubled by a, a report I saw. It's an old report, but I saw it on the internet oh, a few weeks ago about a, a, a church in the south where the pastor, the church really blew up. It was a big mega church. And the police, the, 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 the media were doing an expose of this, this pastor and his financial um, accountability things because the man lived in a mansion. And people were talking about this mansion this pastor lived in. And uh, so, of course, they had a rationale. But wh what was interesting to me was as the, the, one of the things they exposed was that he, he, he said, I, I, I submit my, my income to my board of elders. Well, as they looked into it, the elders were not local elders. The elders were his megachurch pastor friends around the country. Those were the elders of the church who he had submitted himself to. And they were just feeding off each other. And um, he created a system where he could control everything. Sad. And I wish that that were only one situation, but I'm sure there are more. We heard one of the texts in the scripture reading. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. That's why spiritual leadership is very important, folks. Very important. Now, as we, as we try to finish up here, verse 8. Verse 8, Micah reminds us of the positive impact of a spirit-filled leader. As for me, but as for me, I am filled with the power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Sandwiched between this message of doom is a message of hope. And the message of hope is the prophet, the spirit-filled man of God. Micah is that man. He's not afraid to say it. He's not afraid to, to speak about justice and to speak about the transgressions of his people and the sins of his people. He has a word from God to his people. He's, the, he's as we say, he's the country preacher who's not afraid. <laughs> he, 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 in contrast to the clergy that he's talked about, he's not bragging. He's just testifying that he has a message from God. He's not declaring his inherent goodness. He's declaring that the anointing of God makes a difference in his life. The anointing of his spirit gives him power. He's filled with power to proclaim. 
He's emboldened to do what? To say tough things. He's emboldened to say tough things, to declare transgression and the sins of Jacob and Israel. He's not just going to declare the sins of Babylon and Egypt and the Moabites. No. For Israel and Jacob, he's willing, courageous to declare the sins of his own people. Most preaching that we hear highlights uh, the pain and suffering of people, it, not the need, the, ba- the, 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 the other need that we have, which is for forgiveness from sin. Uh, Christian Smith has talked about the theology that people hear in our country. He talks about um, moralistic therapeutic deism. That's, that's the, the phrase that he has popularized, that um, we believe that, that people, I don't know if this is what we're preaching, but what people hear, unfortunately, is a, 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 a religion of moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism is, of course, a God who is not intimately involved in our lives, but merely a, a distant, unconcerned creative force. Moralistic is salvation by being good and doing moral things. In contrast to God's grace. And therapeutic is seeing the human dilemma as feelings of pain and suffering, rather than the greater dilemma of the fact that we are lawbreakers against a holy God. And so we're therapeutic, moralistic, with a deistic view of God. Now, it's not only prophets and preachers who have been spirit-filled, but through the ages. Joseph was simply Pharaoh's assistant. Esther was a queen. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel was a head of state. Mary was a poor teen mom. All these people were simply filled with the spirit of God and able to make a great impact on their generation. Well, my time is up, and my applications, I'm going to run through them very quickly, very quickly. Four four applications. I want us to think biblically. Think biblically as we we wrestle with leadership and the cultural moment in which we are living, this very dramatic cultural moment in which we're living. Think biblically. Don't run too far to the left or to the right. And don't run to the rear. Run to Jesus. That, that, the, the, kingdom, the, the kingdom isn't there or there or there. The kingdom is right here. We are to be a missional people engaged in the conflict, engaged in the world, strategically involved in the culture to transform it for God's kingdom. We need more followers of Jesus in, in, in education, in media, in the arts, in the world of politics. Think biblically. Second, live biblically. Again, James chapter 1 if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Boy, James is he's saying don't, don't just do social justice. Don't just do personal holiness. Do both of them. That's what true godliness is all about. Third. Promote unity. We'll talk about that all month in our, in our Unity Month discussions. But um, if we're to promote unity, we're, we're to have our eyes open to, to, to the fact that there is some truth on the left and some truth on the right. We don't have to run into one of those corners. We need to be thinking biblically about these things. We need to, to, to keep an eye on CNN and keep an eye on Fox. Keep an eye on both of them. Don't buy into everything that all of them say. Watch with a gospel pair of glasses on. 
The scriptures are where we find clarity, where we find hope. And then lastly, pray fervently, pray fervently for leaders, secular leaders, leaders on all levels, for religious leaders on all levels. Micah reminds us of a spiritual one who comes with clarity into the situation. He reminds us of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, who said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Quoting from Isaiah, Jesus came, and you know what happened after that when Jesus made that message, gave that message? That was in Nazareth. They tried to kill him. When the, when the, when, when the spiritual person comes, <laughs> there's tension. <laughs> there's tension. Jesus was a leader, though, and he walked into that tension. Jesus is a leader, and he, he walked into the greatest tension in the world, which is the tension that we have within us between a, a, a holy God and, and sinful human beings. And Jesus solved that tension, didn't he? He died on the cross. He gave himself on the cross that we might have eternal life in a, in a relationship with him. And that we celebrate that each month through the Lord's table. This is not my table. This is the Lord's table. I ask the officers to come forward quickly. This is the table of the Lord, and he, he invites us who have repented of our sins and are seeking to follow him as Lord to, 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 to joyfully uh, take these elements as a spiritual nourishment to our own souls. If you're invited by, by the, your, your, your parents, your children, you can do this in succession. If you're a visitor and you understand the gospel, joyfully embrace this uh, uh, sacrament as well. But if you don't understand the gospel, if you think that it's about doing good yourself and not trusting Jesus, please don't take the elements. This is about the grace that comes through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners. Understanding that will give you a second to examine your own self.